so yeah, just, is there anything more that anyone would like to say about uh, what we're, the situation we're talking about before the break? Okay. Um, just following up with Gerald's question. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about being skillful or, or doing things that are skillful or unskillful, now is that, um, it's almost objective because what I would consider a skillful way to do something might be different than what you would consider to be a skillful way, um, or say a monastic would think. Um, I mean, an extreme example would be say, um, if if I'm in a position to stop Hitler from killing the Jews, mm -hmm. um, to prevent him from doing that. If I'm, of course. You know, if I have a choice, I would probably imprison him for life to stop him from doing that. But if I don't have that option, but I am in a position to say kill him, um, what I would consider, at least in my head, to be a skillful way of what to, for me is that I would do that to prevent you know hundreds, thousands of people from dying. But if I ask somebody who's a monastic, the obvious answer will be no, because as a Buddhist, we <laughs> we do take precept to not kill. So you're asking about the form that skillful means can take, and we'll just before I answer that, we'll just make a slight uh, clarification here that we can speak of uh, wholesome or skillful thoughts and uh, emotions and uh, actions. And essentially the sense in which I was using it before was in terms of those that are defined for us by the Dharma teachings. So the, it, therefore, uh, uh, killing and harming is not a skillful action. Uh, uh, hatred is not a skillful mental state or a wholesome mental state. It's like that. But there's we use the term skillful too to refer to skillful means. And the uh, situation that Tracy brings up is she says, suppose I was in a position to stop Hitler from killing the Jews. And, uh, or, or suppose that somebody was. Different people might uh, attempt to do that in different ways. And this is, this is where we talk about skillful means. When you see that something uh, should be done, can be done, needs to be done, but there are more than one possible ways to way to do it, and uh, skillful means is going to depend on it, it depend on your uh, your own wisdom, and so uh, you your your actions may be more or less skillful depending upon your own the degree of wisdom, understanding, imagination, and creativity, all kinds of different things can enter into it, into the action you take. Taking the example that you mentioned right there, which actually is something that actually did happen. Um, Hitler was not just, he, he was killing Jews in concentration camps and a very uh, uh, terrible thing. But he was also perpetuating a war which was killing millions of people all over uh, Europe and, and Russia. And there was a point where uh, certain individuals became aware of this. They knew that this was happening. And they saw that every that, that uh, if this war continued for another year or even another month, that the amount of, of uh, suffering and death and destruction 
that was taking place all over the place, not just the number of people dying in the concentration camps, but all of the people dying on battlefields, all of the destruction of, of cities and, and towns and everything else, that they said to themselves, every single day that this goes on, uh, the amount of, of, of suffering and death and destruction is just compounded. And so these people made the decision to do something about it, and the only, the only way that they could see to do it was to assassinate Hitler. This is a really interesting situation. Yes? Um, I think the name of that resistance movement was the White Rose. So, if, you know, there are people who, who actually do, um, do resist these, yeah. um, this incredible cruelty. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. So they, they made a decision that, well, the only solution is to assassinate Hitler, and they felt that that this was, under the circumstances, this was the only skillful, this was the only means available, and therefore it was the skillful means. As it turned out, they didn't succeed. They made several attempts, and, and they failed. And they were actually captured and executed, and even their families were executed. So it was unsuccessful, but it doesn't change the fact that Okay, we're asking a question then. Uh, there's different forms that, uh, of, of action under different circumstances, and what do you do when it seems like the only uh, course of action available to you is one that is also in uh, conflict with these precepts? And what's interesting about you raising this situation is, once again, it is not that the precept against harming and killing is some sort of rule. It's a tool. And so you have to you have to make a judgment, you have to make an evaluation. And you have to realize that every act that you perform, mental acts included, and there's definitely mental acts that are associated in the process of thinking about this problem and deciding that, well, this is what I'm going to do. So you, you make a decision to kill somebody. If you made a decision to kill Hitler, then there are the karmic consequences of that decision that you take upon yourself, even if you don't succeed. <laughs> and uh, uh, Because once you've made the decision, you, you now own the karma, whether you succeed in the action or not. It's yours. Uh, interestingly enough, we see that uh, in the, the Jataka tales, the tales of the previous lives of the Buddha, there's something similar to this. Uh, in these stories, it's said that uh, in one of the Buddha's previous lives, uh, he was on board a, a ship that had been taken over by pirates, I believe it was. And the pirates were going to kill everybody, or maybe it was one pirate anyway. I can't remember the details, but what it came down to is the Buddha, the only way that he could save everyone else is to kill this person. And he was in the position where he could do that. And according to this story, he made the decision to do that. He took the karma of killing on himself because he uh, he felt that uh, he did it actually the way he put it he did it out of compassion for the person who was going to kill everyone else. He would rather take the karma upon himself for killing one person than to allow this other person to take the karma upon himself of killing everybody else on the ship. Interesting idea. Not exactly, I think, what the uh, plot to assassinate Hitler had. You know, they didn't say, well, we're doing this for Hitler's own sake. Right. <laughs> different, different perspective. Right. But I think what I see in that story, and once again, you know, we're trying to interpret this from our own perspective. And this story is offered as an example of skillful means. So... It is a situation where 
the Buddha to be, there's not yet a Buddha at this time, but the Buddha to be, the Bodhisattva, made the decision that the best course of action, even though it uh, involved killing somebody, was to do that. So th- this this says that, that there is some weighing of the greater good against the greater evil. And uh, and that that kind of waiting needs to enter into how we, the decision we make and the choice of action that we choose. So, it's, it's an example where, uh, it, it, it's a nice example because it's one that involves this sort of conflict. And, and decision, and we can see that we are being told that it's not a question of blindly following rules. So, therefore, because it's wrong to kill, even though somebody's going to kill all these other people. The other important thing about this story, I mean, up to this point, it's the same as the plot to assassinate Hitler, right? Greater good versus the greater evil, and the only course of, evac- of action available. We had in either one of these cases, either in the previous life of the Buddha or in the plot to assassinate Hitler, perhaps if there was some other course of action that was less violent available, then it would have been wiser to choose that. And in this case, there wasn't, so it was this course of action. But where they diverge is that the I think uh, those who were plotting to assassinate Hitler were motivated as much by the, uh, the hatred for the perpetrator as they were by the compassion for the victims. In the case of the Buddha, he was motivated by compassion for the perpetrator as well as for the victims. And so that's, that is a significant difference in that case. Now, in the more general situation, you will be faced in life with situations that are that take the form of a dilemma that uh, there is not a, a simple clear-cut solution and so you'll have to make choices like that and the choice you'll make is the best one that you're capable of at the time you follow the guidance that was given that you ask yourself what would the buddha do in this situation and then you say what what guidance does the Dharma answer? And uh, what uh, also what would what would uh, those who have uh, practiced this Dharma longer than I? What would they have done? And these can help to give you some idea to guide you in your choices. But you're still going to be limited by the degree of wisdom that you possess at this time. And you make your best choice, and you accept that, and you might make a mistake. You might make a mistake. But the important thing is that you try to make it coming from the best motivations that you can, from the purest motivations that you can. And then you carry out the action with as much skill as you can. Um, I did. I want to come back to one aspect of your question. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Okay. Right, Jerry, before Jerry? we do it, let me let me just oh, check. Yeah. Were you going to address something immediately relevant to what we just said? Yeah, just about the story. But I, oh, the story. Okay. okay. So, yeah, sure. yeah. oh, I was just going to ask. Um, you know, in this in this story, uh, you mentioned that the Buddha had made a decision to to kill somebody. Did he actually kill somebody? Um, is this a uh, is this a fictional story? Is this a biographical story? This is this is from a collection of stories called the Jataka Tales, uh, and uh, it's it's a lot of a huge collection of stories of supposedly the Buddha in a previous life. But scholars tell us that the majority of those stories existed before the Buddha, and they were part of they're, they're sort of like Aesop's fables. They were teaching stories that carried meaningful moral principles. So uh, to 
and, and that's how this should be taken. Uh, these Jataka stories received the... They, they were composed and collected after the death of the Buddha, and as I say, many of the stories existed before the birth of the Buddha. But they seem to have received the imprimatur of the Sangha, the approval of the Sangha at that time, that these are uh, stories that contain useful and valuable lessons. So uh, we shouldn't be concerned with whether it's literally true or not, but rather by uh, according to the wisdom of the Sangha at the time these stories were approved, they were considered to be valid interpretations of, of the Dharma. Okay? Thanks. <laughs> All right. Yes, Neil. So, you wanted to address something to do with Gerald's original question. Right, this is something I talked with Chula Dust about over the break. Um, <clears throat> during that discussion and, and the question last, which was very helpful, you said one particular thing which I resonated with uh, clearly, which was some basically, well, you know, when this thing occurs, you know, there's this uh, emotion that happens, you know, adrenaline rushes, I mean, you have this reaction of emotion. And uh, so, you know, what are you going to do about that? And it reminded me of, of the last big retreat we were in with Chula Dasa, and he addressed this in a way that was very helpful to me, which was to really di differentiate between the emotion itself that arises and the response that comes after. And his point was that, uh, and if I get this wrong, please help me, his point was that in that moment, when that emotion arises, that's because of all of the conditions prior and the karma prior to that point, and you, you could not have prevented that because it's based on what all came before. So that emotion occurs, you, and you shouldn't feel bad about that emotion occurring. It's, what, it's the right result of everything that just came before. But then once the emotion has arisen, through mindfulness, you can say, okay, I have some choices now, and I can react in emotion, or I can take some time and calm down and think about it and try to react based on a better motivation than the anger itself. And in fact, you'll have a better result. You'll respond more effectively if you are able to step in and put that space in there where you can think about it. Mm -hmm. Like at home, my trick, the way I get rid of anger, is I replace it with regret. I overreact, and then I feel bad. So I got rid of my anger, I turned it into regret. So, you know, that's what I'm working on, I'm trying to put that space in there to where I could not, generally, when you respond in anger, you overreact. I think that's, it's true for me, I think it's true for many. So, working to put that space in there. And if you do that enough times, this is another very important point Chula Dasa made, when you do that enough times, you are conditioning the future. And eventually, you won't even have that emotional response or uh, the initial emotional reaction won't occur because you have ignored it enough times, you were successfully able to ignore it enough times that you built a new habit around it. But that's later. Right now, just Try to put that space so you're not reacting to the emotion itself. Yeah, I, I think that's very appropriate. And it, basically, it's like uh, just saying, don't shoot from the head. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. Wait a little bit. But uh, of course, occasionally, if the need is absolutely urgent, you shoot from the head and then think about it later. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. It makes sense. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, I have an example. I don't have a comment, comment, but I have an example to share. And I just recently, I just read a, read a magazine. They have a report, and they in they have the uh, there's a special drugs. They use the uh, they're popular in the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And if you take that 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 drugs, they will make you angry and make you feel like a. Uh, justice hero, and uh, some some uh, law enforcement are uh, very population. They take it as pure, 
for the duty because uh, they want to get rid of the fear fear or something else whatever reason and you always end up with the overactive and very bad result like a, mm -hmm. some over, over, uh, too aggressive or something like that yeah so that so something you based on the emotions is always not the right right actions oh yes well that's a it's terrible that they yeah yeah it's stuff. very yeah. very very very, yeah. very bad things that happen on, on our society <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like people you know if you have people wandering around in a position of power and authority especially if they have guns and clubs yeah yeah you know, that's the problem yeah yeah you, you really want them as clear-headed as possible yeah <laughs> so. Michael um, when it's necessary, sometimes we need to um, use physical force under some very desperate situations. And uh, but uh, you know, having anger, it uh, it makes us more f uh, uh, vigorous. You know, the blow will pump you know, more vigorously. You know, we would uh, probably fight more fiercely. And uh, I guess those things can be aroused without effort. You know, negative emotion like anger, right? Because when an athlete is in the zone, I don't think this person is angry, right? And, and that he's very, very fast and agile. He can do probably way better than he's upset because he can think, he, he reacts very skillfully instead of just merely responding to anger. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I agree with that. Uh, and certainly I know martial artists don't benefit by having emotion. It's, it's very harmful for them to have emotion when they are in their <coughs> competition. But, uh, you know, on, on the other hand, ordinary people that are put on a uniform and given a gun and told to go out and fight a battle, they always, they have to develop hatred for the enemy because it's the only way that they can do it. You know, horrible. And then, of course, they come back and they're severely damaged psychologically because of the experience that they've gone through. So, we should we should give up war. Number one, if we can't do that, we should make all, all of our soldiers into martial artists so that they don't have to get they don't have to fill themselves with hatred. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I think we can make up a lot of scenario. But I would like to, uh, you give us some guidance with back to daily life. Yes. Because daily life, we could encounter not a war, not a those things. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, small things for daily relationship mm -hmm. or something happen, you know, we come out anger or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate Nia remind us again what's the last retreat you mentioned. But I would like to see if you can give some kind of a suggestion or guidance once we aware the anger is here, okay, and my observation sometimes it take a little bit of time, even though maybe in that moment, okay, I should calm down, but still that emotion is kind of, you know, just like energy, just go to the brain, okay. Is any suggestion how we can be more effectively put a gap there? Is any, any, anything maybe we can practice, you know, more and more skillfully, to easier for us to have a gap there, and then we can, I just want to... Well, I, mm -hmm. it's what I mentioned before, but also in, in my own experience, what I found to be most useful is, uh, and I think what we're talking about is the fact that <clears throat> you would like to have the mindfulness so that even though anger arises, you can keep yourself from speaking and acting out of it. But it's often the case that we don't. You, you've already said something and it's too late to take it back. Or you've already done something. Now what, what I personally, in my experience, and I, I did go through that. I, mean, I, I don't get angry anymore, but there was a time when I got angry quite a bit, very easily. And that was exactly my problem. But what worked for me is that as soon as I could, and even while I'm still angry, 
you know. But as soon as I could have that mindfulness and reflect on what I'd done and just let it imprint that, okay, this anger, how does it feel? It does not feel good. It's not pleasant to be angry. Look what this anger caused me to do. You know, and just not analyze it, but just saturate my awareness with, you know, uh, the the unserviceability of the anger, and and do it as soon as possible. And then the other thing that I would sometimes my anger would not go away, or you know, it might go away, and then 15 minutes later you start thinking about it, and you know, it comes back up again. And so you know, I made the whole thing into a dharma practice that. Okay, this anger, you know, where where within me is this is this coming from? To see, okay, there's there's hurt. What you find is anger always comes from some kind of hurt or injury, real or perceived. And sometimes it's not even real. That's the funny thing about it. But your mind is holding on to some past hurt. Anger always has to do with something that's already happened. And it always has to do with, with uh, something that hurts you. But it may not hurt you physically. It may not even hurt you in terms of your, your property or things like that. Often, all that's hurt is your ego. All that's hurt is your perception of how somebody else regards you or your idea of who you are and things like that. And so my anger would make it really easy for me to look at that. Because when you're not angry, you say, my ego, my ego, what's my ego? You know, it's kind of hard to get hold of it, but when, when you're feeling offended, when you're angry because you're feeling offended, your ego is naked. It's easy to see. It's like, ah, okay. You know. And so I, I would look at that. Um, and then the other thing, and this is really important, is to, to try to replace, is, is to try to replace the anger with something more wholesome. And that's a really important thing to do. And the thing that I found easiest most often was just to recognize that this person is already suffering just like me. And even though my angry mind sees them as, you know, sort of smug and superior, and they did this thing, and they hurt me, and they got away with it, or, you know, they, whatever it is. You know the way your mind works. It, it makes the person you're angry at, it doesn't make the person you're angry at look like a, a weak, fallible, suffering, unfortunate being deserving of karma. It makes them look like uh, someone that needs to be punished. <laughs> and so, uh, whatever the person, whatever the situation is, to try to see it more realistically. I already knew that everyone is, everyone's suffering in the same way. You know, that first truth, life is, life is suffering, and people are creating their own suffering. And, a really important principle is nobody, you would never hurt anyone, lie to anyone, take something of someone else's, except that you are a suffering being and you are in an ignorant way trying to ease your own suffering. And you realize that that's true of absolutely everyone out there, except for the Buddhas, and the Buddhas aren't who I'm angry at. So everybody else, anybody that I get angry at, their true nature is they are an ignorant, suffering being, and they are making, they're making mistakes. And so it's helpful to see them in this more genuinely true and real way. So, but the effect of this, the effect especially of as soon as possible of just shining the light of mindful awareness on the situation and the results it was producing 
The effect of that was was that that space was there. That space made itself. It uh, it is a karmic action that produces a karmic result. And uh, this practice of mindfulness, and it's a powerful karmic reaction. Most of the time, we justify our anger, and we tell a story that makes the other person at fault, blameworthy, etc., 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 and then we turn away. And what I'm talking about here is doing exactly the opposite, looking at what's really happening. You know, seeing, I say, shining the light of mindful awareness. You see, the way that the way that it appears to me is that there's a part of my mind that I was not conscious of, but that had been conditioned by all of my past experiences, by by all of my angry experiences of my entire life. This one part of my mind, its job was to turn on the anger when certain kind of situations came up. And because that was not in the realm of consciousness, that part of my mind didn't really know the consequences of what it did. Somewhere very early on in my life, that part of my mind became programmed to do this and has continued to do this, had continued to do this for the rest of my life. Up until then, it kept doing this. And it kept triggering the anger, and my mind would be flooded with the angry emotions, and then the words and the actions would come out of that. And the part of my mind that was responsible for starting this all up never got the feedback of what the real results were. And so, by practicing mindful awareness, I was sending a message to that subconscious part of my mind that was responsible for triggering triggering the anger. That message was, look how I feel as a result of this anger. You know, I feel bad here, I feel bad here, you know, my body feels bad, my mind feels bad. Look look at what I did, look at what I did to other people, Uh, look at how the results of my actions, how they make me feel, they make me feel even worse, you know. And the message gets through to that unconscious part of your mind. And when it does, that unconscious part of your mind begins to change. And every time you do that, you make it more likely that that unconscious part of your mind may still turn on the anger, but it won't be as strong. It won't be so strong that it completely overwhelms your mindfulness. But the other thing is, there is some kind of your mind, some part of your mind that is responsible for making you be aware in the moment. And you're also conditioning and training that part of your mind. So you're, by practicing mindfulness, you're also sending the message to that part of your mind to, hey, don't turn it off, don't go to sleep, when the mind's filled with anger. Because look at the consequences. Stay awake. Do your job. And so the result is that the anger is weaker and the mindfulness is stronger. And it comes from the reflection after the fact and the awareness at the time. And one of the things that I learned that was really important is that never believe the justification that your mind makes. Just, you can take it as a hard and fast rule. The story, whatever story your mind makes that is associated with anger is not to be believed. And just, when you don't let yourself buy into it, don't let yourself believe it, don't let that program run. Because it's not true. It's just simply... You can count on that. It's always not true. And to the degree that you buy into any emotion like any unwholesome emotion like that, to the degree that you believe in it, and to the degree that you grant it credibility, 
you've fed it, you've nourished it, you've made it stronger, and it's it's going to it's going to have that strength the next time that uh, it comes up. Don't blame yourself, as as Neil pointed out. You know, don't blame yourself for being angry, because. It's the result of past causes and conditions. That part of your mind that turns on the anger, it's already there. And being angry at yourself has exactly the wrong effect. So don't judge yourself, don't be angry at yourself, don't blame yourself. Except, ah, anger is arising, but don't say, I am angry. Let's say, anger is arising, and then do your best to deal with it. How do you not believe the story? I understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And I can say today that that story that started playing last night was not true. But last night, it's hard to not believe the story. Well, if you, by thinking about it, you see, the thing is that you look at what we usually do, which is, we believe in the story and then we turn away from it. We never look at it again. So if you if you are looking at the story and saying, ah, it's really not true, um, then that's going to help you not believe it next time. The more often that you see that the story is not true, then the easier it is for you to believe it next time. I mean, just, you just think about it. If, if, if you might start out believing everything I said, but if every time I saw you, I lied to you, after a while, you quit believing. Right. <laughs> Instead, you'll come to a place where you assume, okay, I know this guy, he always lies to me, therefore, what he just said to me is most likely not true. Actually, it's an interesting thing. I have someone in my life who does that, that they always make up stories, and things are never the way... <laughs> And they're, they're never, but every now and even after all these years, I still sometimes fall for it, you know. And it'll be such a good story that I'll believe it, even though all those other times I was fooled. But nevertheless, you know, you. Um, so what if the story is true, but the level of your reaction is wrong? You know what I mean? Uh, now, give me an example. Well, um, okay, so something happens that um, I didn't like, mm-hmm. so I became angry, mm-hmm. and um, there was nothing incorrect, even after you know time has passed, looking back, there was nothing incorrect about my understanding of the actual situation and what occurred and why it occurred. Mm-hmm. But what was incorrect, really, was the level of my reaction to it. You know, if I described this to anyone else, they'd say, well, what, what are you so upset about that? Mm-hmm. And they'd be right. So it wasn't the, anything factual about what occurred, mm-hmm. but just it was my, my over-emotional reaction well, to no, it. No, that's what I mean. That's part of the story. I mean, a, an essential part of the story that anger tells is that this anger is completely justified. Okay. I mean, part of the story is, well, anybody get angry about this. And of course, you say right. that to somebody else and say, why'd you get so upset? Mm, I guess the story's not true. <laughs> okay, so, so the story is not just what has occurred and why, but... No, that, that but a really the, important part of the story is that the anger is justified. Okay. Well, just a very good example. I learned a lot yesterday from you, and, and what Michael said yesterday gave me a lot of feedback. The guy that took my car, I wanted to go and smash his car as a revenge. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the thought came right there, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it was, if I would have read my story, I would have damaged his car somehow, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I knew it was a bad thought when I had it. I, um, it's not a person that I am, but that's how angry I got. Mm-hmm. And then I analyzed it and I didn't believe my story. Mm-hmm. I let the story, you know what I mean? I, it's, it's not something that I want to be, you yeah. know? So I didn't believe my story, you know? That's good, and that's really good. You know, and that's part of, you know, the thing that we read yesterday where the Buddha said also uh, one of the recollections is you recollect your own virtue. Now, essentially, that's what you said when you said, 
this thought came in your mind and you said, well, I'm not that kind of a person. Right? And that's, that's what that means, is recollecting the virtues that you have. And you say, well, uh, if I were to do something like that, then, you know, I'm... I've been I'm, guilty for a long yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it will hurt me in the end, you know? I'm it be will hurt you in the end, yeah. yeah. That's how it will be. True. Yeah. So, that's a new battery? Yes. Well, this has been a very good discussion so far. Um, you have, yes? How about the emotion of the regret? The emotion of regret. Of regret. Yeah, oh, every time like I, like you say, uh, if you got anger, don't blame mm-hmm. yourself. But but you will have regret. You have uh, yeah. a lot of things that you you if you do something inappropriate. <laughs> that's know. that's a very interesting thing. Now. If we can, let's make a little distinction here between guilt and regret or remorse. Because one is much more unwholesome and destructive than the other one. Uh, After you've done something, you might experience uh, guilt. Oh, I'm such a bad person and you beat up on yourself inside with the idea of what a terrible person you are. And that doesn't do any good at all. It's actually no different than beating up on somebody else because they did something that you don't like. And it's very, uh, it's very unhelpful. But sincere regret, remorse, this can be very useful to you. Don't let it turn into guilt. I mean, if you feel regret for something that you did, the question should be, what can I do about this? And if there is anything that you can do to to make amends, to make reparations, to offer an apology, you should. You know, as a matter of fact, that's a really good way to get over being angry. If you get angry and say something to someone, is to go and admit to them that it was not, you know, it was not appropriate. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I became angry. And, you know, it's a really good. That will help a lot. But when regret arises, it's an indication that you need to do something to make things right inside yourself, and. So the first question you ask is, is there something I can do outside myself to make things right? Because that's going to be really powerful and effective. Now, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes you can't. It's for one reason or other, it's too late, it's not possible. Then you can still use the regret, the remorse you feel, in a very positive way to say to yourself, this was an action, what did this action arise out of? Well, you're going to see that it, it I, I mean, unwholesome actions always arise out, arise out of unwholesome motivations. They also always come out of desire and aversion and delusion. And so you see that, and you recognize that, and you can own it. And you can say, over and over again in my life, I, I have done things like this that are unwholesome, and I've done them because of desire and aversion and my own deluded attachment to myself. So you look at that and you face it. And then you make a commitment to yourself, well, I'm going to do my best in the future not to do this anymore. So I'll be on guard next time. I'm going to be more mindful. I'll be more careful. Um, And then What's a really good idea is you make the kind of commitment that you uh, can to what, what is going to help you not to do this in the future? Well, it's going to be to practice mindfulness. It's going to be to 
to meditate, to practice mindfulness. And so you make the commitment to do that. So there's a formula here that uh, whenever you've done something that you realize is wrong, is unwholesome, is uh, uh, then feel sincere remorse and regret. Allow yourself to feel that. It's not a good-tasting medicine, but it's a medicine. To allow yourself to sincerely feel the regret and remorse is a medicine that is going to help to treat the disease. So the first thing is to sincerely feel the regret and remorse for what you've done. The second thing is to resolve not to, to do your best not to do the same thing or something similar in the future. And then the third thing is uh, to consciously commit yourself to an appropriate remedy for your tendency to do this in the future. So these all start with R. So it's regret, resolve, and remedy. Now, part of the remedy can be if there's something that you can do. It can be apologizing to somebody. It can be replacing something that you damaged. It can be uh, doing something to compensate for what you've done, you know. But do that. That's part of the remedy. That's part of the remedy. And somehow the the more strong regret that will lead 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 me into a um, very very melancholy, yeah, boost, boost. into a very uh, boost feeling that. Uh, your bruised. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. It makes you feel yeah. And and yeah. So is that okay? Well or how can you get right on The important thing is the mental feeling of regret. I wish that I hadn't done that. That's what's important. The all emotions come with a sort of, you know, a, a physical feeling tone as well, you know. And so, yes, when you when you feel bruised, you feel you realize that you injured yourself by the thing that you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to dwell on that, but it's good to recognize it. It's good, you know. Once again, let your mindful awareness. Transmit the message to the other parts of your mind that cause you to behave in this way. That look, this is how I feel as a result of that. <laughs> this is the way we. This is how we feel. I mean, there is no I. It's just a collection of mental processes. So, the mental process that recognizes the remorse and regret says to all the other mental processes, including the one that brought about the unfortunate behavior. Hey, look what you did to us. This is how we feel as a result of that. You keep that in mind for next time. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, when we feel bruised again, you know, hurting again, is that we turn into guilt unconsciously? Try not to. I mean, is you, that right? Yeah. If you're, if you're unmindful and unconscious, it can, can turn into guilt. And you can beat yourself up. But that doesn't do any good at all. So... Try to be mindful if you catch yourself doing that. You realize that that you are the product of your past karma unless you've got a time machine and go back and create a different self. You know, what you, you when you did something, you did it because of who you were in that moment. And accept that. What's important is what you do about it in this moment. What you do in the present moment is what's important. So, the the moment that you did that action has already become past in the moment that you recognize that you shouldn't have done it. And so accept that. You cannot change the past. And don't allow yourself to get into useless kinds of feelings like guilt. But, accept that genuine remorse and regret and even feeling a little bit bruised as a result of it. This this is what is present in the moment, and this is what necessitates taking an appropriate action. 
either internally or externally or both internally and externally. I was going to say, it struck me that when you were talking about guilt, it seems like the feeling of guilt is very much the same as the feeling of blame toward another. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a blanket, that's the way it is. And just like, that's just like blaming doesn't help you. That's right. In the same way, guilt doesn't help. That's exactly the same way. And, you know, the important thing is that you think about it and you recognize the fact that guilt is not helpful. And so then, whenever you find yourself feeling guilt, then, then you can say, well, this is like any of the other, it's like blaming somebody else, it's like any of the other uh, unwholesome, unskillful, and uh, unuseful emotions and, and treat it that way. You know, and you might even uh, practice replacing it with compassion for yourself. There's an interesting thing. This is another thing I, I told you that that I had to overcome. Uh, a lot of anger that I carried. And it's funny, I lost exactly what I was going to say. It'll come back. Oh, yes that in that process, you have to, I, I had to forgive the person that my anger was directed towards. But what I discovered is that there was a whole lot of other anger behind that. So you sort of peel away one layer and say, okay, I'm angry at this person, you take that away. And then in this case, because these are things that happened when I was a child, I've discovered I also had a lot of anger towards other people, other adults, that didn't protect me. You know, and they didn't step in, and they didn't do something. So I had to forgive them, too. So, okay, took that layer off, and I thought that was it, but then no. What I discovered is that I also had to forgive myself, because I felt guilty, as though what happened to me was somehow my fault. There was something wrong with me, that, that I deserved it in some way. Very interesting thing. Totally irrational. I mean, because you look at it rationally, well, no, I didn't deserve that, no. But deeply buried in there, I found this kernel of guilt. The best way I could put it is I discovered that, that deep down I felt like there was something wrong with me. I was less than other people, and what happened to me happened to me because I deserved it and it was my fault and I had to forgive myself. And that was the hardest of all of the people that I had to forgive. That was the hardest one. Forgiving yourself is really, it's really a challenge. That's why when we do the loving kindness meditation, we start out with, we start out with the people that we're fond of and we're close to and then we go to the people that we have a problem with and the more and more difficult people uh, but we try to end up with sending love and kindness to ourselves. Because we'll start off going through the motion of giving ourselves loving kindness, but there's some part of it uh, that doesn't necessarily believe that we deserve it. <laughs> and therefore we hold it back. So, you know. But yeah, you have to forgive yourself. And uh, that guilt is it's blaming yourself and it's holding on to that. That's fine. Uh, earlier you said that um, whenever we uh, have a story based on the angry emotion, we should not believe it, but um, guilt is also an anger against ourselves. So, so, so it falls in the same line. And then I have a, and, but the thing is uh, uh, anger, the root of it is, uh, is based on, uh, based on um, a greed. It's a, it's a flip side of greed. It's the same coin, but the, but the flip side. We're not getting what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And then therefore, um, and therefore, you know, we're very upset. Yeah. And uh, does that mean that when, when we have story based on, you know, lustfulness and greed, we should really, really question, you know, the story. 
Oh yes, yes, absolutely, it definitely means that. But then, you know, there, there are certain things that you said yesterday that uh, when, when we're greedy about, um, you know, about Dharma practice, it, it's kind of like pretty much the only wholesome greed that there is. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And eventually you have to let go of that. Because the one thing that's wrong with desire for awakening and being greedy for the Dharma, the one thing that's wrong for that is wrong with that is that it's still rooted in the idea that there is a self that I am going to become awakened. That this that this self, that this person is going to uh, achieve these results. And the fact is that that, that's not true. You are never going to become awakened. But when you let go of that, then then the body and mind, the five aggregates, the, the psychophysical entity that you are, will become awakened. So there's always this seed of this mythical self behind any kind of desire and greed. But if it is desire for the Dharma, desire for awakening, it's not harmful for you, it's moving you closer to Nirvana, and it's not harmful for others. So it's not unwholesome in the way the other kinds of desire and, and, and bust are. But any other kind, you know, any other kind of desire and greed out of that, somewhere you're going to find it's going to have some unwholesome result. That's the thing that the kind of there's different kinds of love. You know, we fall in love with somebody, but and and we may want to to give to them, do for them, protect them, but there's all this selfishness that's underneath it. And as you know, you fall in love with somebody, and very often it turns nasty at some point. You end up hurting each other. typical relationship, you end up hurting each other over and over again in many ways, and then sometimes the relationship doesn't even survive. And that's all come from the selfish component that is in there. Uh, You can, over time, come in a relationship to a place where it is genuine love for the other person and acceptance, and there's no longer the selfish component. And then it becomes a different kind of thing. And it's free of desire, and it's uh, you know the it's, it takes on a totally different flavor. I'm very interested to to know that earlier you said when when we're angry and our uh, ego is exposed in a naked form, how do you know you said we should observe it? Can you tell us what are some of the ways that are skillful in observing this ego? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how to say too much more than I already have. When somebody offends you, it does reveal your your ego in a way that if you can take advantage of that and examine it honestly, and then you have to be you have to be honest with yourself because you've got to remember that your anger is going to want to tell a different story. <laughs> I don't get angry long enough to for me to observe. I only usually I get upset only for a little while, and okay. I don't have enough time to observe it. Well, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a really <laughs> if you're going to have any problem at all, that's that's the best kind to have. Well, I like to observe ego in yeah. in its naked form. What are, are there some other? Well, uh, when you're feeling hurt and injured, even if you're not feeling uh, angry. When you're feeling hurt and injured, you look and see, well, who's feeling hurt and why and how? You know, when you feel injured in some way or betrayed in some way, when somebody's let you down or something like that, who has been betrayed? The, this is also another access that you have to your ego structure. You see, what you'll find if you examine the ego, uh, the ego self over and over again, and all these different ways that we talked about. It's something that's mind generates, and it turns it on and off. 
And sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. But whenever whenever you're feeling hurt and injured, it's turned on. Because otherwise, what's there to be hurt and injured? You see what I mean? So, let me put it another way. Anger, hurt, things like that. You can recognize that at the, resi- at the root, in order to be, in order to have a logical presence at all, implies that there must be a self, must be an ego self, because they don't make sense outside of that context of there being an ego self. And so any kind of experience that you're having that's of the type that you know that to make sense for it to be there, there must be an ego self, then this is your opportunity to look within and to examine the nature of that ego self. And what you're going to discover is that it's a fabrication of your mind. And it is, it's basically, it is a story. It is nothing but a story. You tell the story, your mind tells the story of yourself. Oh, this happened to me. Oh, I felt this way. Oh, and then I decided to do this. And oh, then that happened. And it creates this story of who you are. And that's what gets, you know, in some form or another brought up uh, under these different kinds of circumstances. But when you see, see it for what it really is, it's a story. <laughs>